happy Monday to all of you out there in the podcast world. My name is Donovan. I'm the host of the Mountain Podcast. Certainly glad you're with us. We're in a brand new year. We're in a brand new series here at the Mountain, and it's called Chase. Not Chase Bank. Not, I can't think of any people who are famously named Chase. Anyway, well, Samuel's starting a brand new series on Chase, the Chase. What is it all about? Well, I'll let Samuel tell you. It's incredible stuff. Um, I know that I'm recording this on the 11th, and we're putting up the 3rd today. We'll have the 10th up tomorrow, and then Wednesday we're going to have a brand new discussion. So I'm going to let Sam kick it off with The Chase starting here in February. So Sam, take it away, friend. We're starting a new series this month called Chase. Um, it's, my, it's like one of my favorite topics. I find I say this a lot about topics, but I really do like this topic. I like the identity topic. That's one of my favorites. And it's why I never say anything's like my favorite, uh, except this is my favorite wife and my only wife, so that's easy. Uh, and, uh, but, you know, and I have one son, uh, and he's a beautiful, handsome man, and, uh, but I, uh, I, you know, I don't have, I don't say, I love, I, my favorite, I love identity. I love the pursuit of God. It all does become one kind of giant sermon. You ever get this idea? It feels like everything's connected about Jesus. You're like, he does different things at different times. He'll use his left hand for this or his right hand for that or his head for that, you know. But, uh, but it all kind of starts feeling like, oh, this is like, I see it. Like, I see the narrative here. Uh, the Bible talks about many parts, one spirit, uh, the unity of the spirit. You begin to see that Jesus is, 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 is deep, but is also very simple. And simple in the idea that this is a relationship pursuit. This is not a pursuit of outcome. This isn't a pursuit of uh, popularity. Uh, this isn't a pursuit of fear. Uh, this is a pursuit of love. Uh, and sometimes we try and fit God into our current scheme and our current concept of how to live life. What's beautiful about God is he wrecks the whole system. Is he wrecks the whole scheme. He wrecks the whole notion of, of how, I, how I ought to be or how I ought not be in different spaces. And, and he's just so faithful. He's just so faithful to author all the time. That's what I love about God. And, and when, I, when I really felt like we were supposed to talk about chasing him or the pursuit of God, immediately I began to have some things come to my mind about the chase or the pursuit. One, I began to re remember what God spoke to me when I first started getting uh, into like uh, really serving and running after and running with Jesus, which was like 18 or 19 years old, took a Nazarite vow, grew my hair and my beard out. I looked despicable, but, uh, but I really loved God and I went to college for a little bit. And uh, I mean, I, I was dating Jess at the time. We started dating when I was right before my graduation. I invited her to go to my graduation because I was inviting high school and she said no. So that was awful. That was really mean of her. And uh, still trying to forgive her. No, but uh, she, did, she was trying to play hard to get. She didn't know how much she loved me yet. And uh, that was to come, though. And we were just praying through it, you know. So I'm just praying through it. And, uh, but in this time, I went up and I, I took a scholarship to go to play basketball uh, in Montreal, Canada. I ended up tearing my ACL uh, after a while uh, of playing, almost done with the season, tore it. 
Um, and, uh, but that's, but the part I was, I was up there and I was in Canada, I was in Montreal, it's cold, it's snow. And I just remember like I was, I was of this mindset that I was giving my life to God in every capacity. Separation, consecration were two really important words to me. It was an external vow to, to pray for and believe for an internal vow of separation and consecration to God. Uh, that which was on the outside was supposed to be indicative of and representative of what's going on in the inside of me, uh, which was I was being set apart. And that was a really big deal for me because then I began to realize that even though I grew up in the church and I knew of God and I knew of his deeds, I knew of his standards and I believed all those things, there was a big difference in knowing of God and then being and living with God. There was a really, really big difference, and, and sometimes knowing of God in a really thorough way can actually be a little bit of a distraction to the idea of pursuing him, or sometimes it'll diffuse us from really needing or feeling like we need to pursue him because we know so much about him, you know what I mean? Uh, and, uh, and that sometimes can hurt us in our pursuit because we know more than we've actually grown to know. So to have a disproportionate knowing of God than knowing God, which knowing would be the covenant connection relationship personal, like very, very real to me, is different than that which somebody else told me about him. See, that which somebody else tells you about God isn't bad. You know, when somebody witnesses to you about God or testifies to you about what he's done, it's not bad, not bad at all. But it really isn't the place of intimacy. It can provoke, it can cause you to seek that which you've heard in somebody else's narrative in your own life. Like God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I want him to be real to me, not just a historical legacy to others around me that I'm like, yeah, that sounds good, but there's a difference. There's a confidence that comes when you go, okay, that which I've heard testified in others' life, it's time for me to realize it in the fullness of my own life. And that's That's terrifying. When you begin to take that step and take that leap to say, these things which I've seen real in others or I've heard are real of others, the fame of God is going to be established in intimacy in my life as if I was married to him. Because see, no one has to tell me how amazing my wife is. I know how amazing my wife is because I'm married to her. I think a lot of times as we hear that Jesus is the, is the groom and we're the bride and there's this symbolism of, 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 of relational intimacy with, with God, uh, sometimes I think what, what we've got to understand is that we're, we're still in a place of someone who's someone telling us or people telling us, uh, this is what your husband's like, but not actually knowing him. And we, and we know that place because that's the place where we feel like we're on the outside looking in where we feel like fear dominates our life, like fear dominates our behavior, and the, the language of pressure and fear and angst and anxiety begin to dominate the scene for us. These are the places of outside looking in and knowing of him, but not knowing the, the peace that surpasses understanding because our understanding has always predicated fear and a lack of peace. I had a story that I want to start out with. I, uh, I went to Omelette House with some of the speakers from our conference uh, and uh, ha- ate a little bit there and spent about three and a half hours there. And, uh, and uh, we, some uh, family came that we, we knew and um, they asked us to pray for them. Well, they asked them to pray for them because they were the guest speakers. But uh, I ended up praying for them as well. Uh, and so afterwards, we go outside and we were praying for them. And something really cool happened. The, the gentleman that we were praying for, a lot going on in his life, tough stuff, difficult stuff, real stuff. And uh, 
And he began to tell us how he thought, what he was feeling in those places. It was a tough spot. You could tell it has been years of this trial, years of this place of difficulty. And, um, and then we began to pray and we began to prophesy over him. You just felt the presence of God come. He's so faithful. You just heard his words come for this gentleman. And it was such a, an amazing place. But what we began to see is rest. We began to see peace that surpassed understanding. We just felt the presence of God come. We prophesied a few other things. And then at the end of it, he said something that was really important, really interesting to me. He didn't tell us we were right. Although that's what a lot of people say. That makes a lot of sense. I see that. And that's really cool. He said something interesting. He goes, man, I, I felt like oppression left me. Immediately I began to realize that, that oppression comes when you try and find freedom through your mental faculties. Or that which you've known. Honestly, our situation, our, our experiences, that which we've known, they can't really predicate or create the freedom that God's designed for us. As we go glory to glory to glory with God, which is his design relationally, is that there's a growth pattern that begins to take place. So you don't grow by what you've known, but you grow by who he is and how he is. It really does define your potential. That if you see who Father is, then you've seen the roadmap for your transformation. If you see how he loves, then you've seen how you get to love. If you've seen how he forgives, then you get to see then how you get to forgive. And it's an exciting place not only to measure and to feel the standard, but also to allow him to create the standard in you. There's a scripture that I want to I read to you guys, Psalm 63, 8, and it says, My soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. When I began this pursuit journey, uh, I began to love everything about the pursuit. Abide in me, the pursuit, the, the fervor, the fire after going after Jesus. It was so awesome. I was like, I'm going to write a book on this thing. This is like novel thought. No, this is great. And then somebody told me about a book by A.W. Tozer called The Pursuit of God. And I read it and I realized that he stole he stole all of the things I had written and he went back in time or forward in time or something because he's, he's dead. But uh, he's, he's, it's a classic book or whatever. So I was like, that's crazy. Like this is literally language that no one told me, but that God began to illuminate me in a secret place and pursuing him, he began to establish these truths and revelations. Turns out he did it with somebody else, which, you know, newsflash, that's kind of what happens with your life. Like, you're like, this is novel, this is amazing. God just did something spectacular, tubular, and, and just honestly, oh my gosh, ah! And then you talk to somebody else who's been in that spot where God created that, and then they're like, yeah, dude, I know. And you're like, what, you know, are you sure? And he's like, yeah, no, that's amazing, right? And I'm like, yeah, it's amazing. And, and so he'll establish these things, and you'll see them in other people. And that's when you actually begin to hear sincere amens from people. Is when they begin to hear me or somebody else say something that they've recognized that is true about God. They're like, amen. Sorry, that, I just agree with that. <laughs> I say, yeah, to that thing there that he said. And it's, it's not supposed to be like a, a ritual we do in church so the pastor feels good about his me message. You know, like, hey, there's no amens here. Someone tell me amen. No, it's supposed to. It's, it's supposed to be like the spirit of God inside of me has done something. It's doing something. And then you're like, yeah, 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 amen. Yeah, yes, and amen. Like, yes, I agree with that. So you find that there's not a lot of amens in you if this isn't operating in your life. 
Or you can feel like you're on the outer courts looking into the Holy Holies, but not really feeling like you understand. You're like, why is this person lifting their hands? Why is this person witnessing? Oh, they're kind of annoying. Why is this person like want to like, pray for the sick all the time? And then you begin to be like really challenged, and you have two things that begin to take place in this spot. When you see other people around you going after Jesus' heart, you begin to justify your spot, or you begin to go after God in your own way. One spot is really motivated by fear. So when somebody feels like their behavior is provoking me and it's making me feel uncomfortable, like Todd White comes and tells me about how he, a guy crashed on a motorcycle and so he came over into the, and he led him to Jesus and gave him money and prophesied over him and he just broke. And when I hear these things, I'm provoked, right? Like it literally makes me feel like, man, I'm not doing enough. What am I, why, why am I, what is this? I, 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 I've had fear in these, and I begin to visit these places and I can easily go, you know what? He's an evangelist, I'm not. Hey, it's not my gift mix. You know, we can get real spiritual about, about things so that we don't have to operate in places that we're terrified. You know what? I'm not a prophet, so like that person prophesies, gets words of knowledge, but uh, I got more of a pastor's gift, so like I just really want to tender the flock, nurture the flock. This is kind of who I am, you know. They'll be them, and I'll be me. And the design of the giftedness inside of me was never meant to predispose me to limitation. The design of what God has made natural to me was never meant to disallow me or eliminate me from operating and walking in something that isn't my giftedness. So what's a better response, what's a more effective response is when somebody walks in great pursuit of God and encouraged in some way that you are weak, it behooves you, it beseeches you, it challenges you to say, God, I am terrified of this. I am terrified to walk into the promised land. I'm terrified of defeat. I'm terrified of what people will think of me. So since I am terrified of it, for that very reason, I'm going to look for you. I think an orphan seeks God because they're afraid they'll never get. They're afraid they don't belong, so they seek God so they can get something that's credit to them, so they feel like they belong. But I think a son pursues God because he's really excited about connecting in relationship with God in a space that they haven't ever seen him operate yet. So this is the space of weakness. This is a space of shortcoming that I'm not like, hey, you know what? That's just not who I am. But I'm like, God, that's not who I am. But I know it's who you are. So I'm going to pursue you with courage to say, do it in me. That's when he's going to do a new thing in you. That's why the Bible's like, behold, I'm doing a new thing. You know, the scripture that you hear when somebody's prophesying over you. And like, I just see a new thing over you. By the way, that's almost always right prophetically. <laughs> So if you're uncomfortable with the prophetic, just say something like, hey, God loves you. Uh, he's doing a new thing in you. Like, these are like softball prophetic things because everyone has to be like, yeah, you're right. Or you can say those things because you see them, feel them, hear them, and then begin to ask God very specific questions. What are you making new? It's different when he begins to show you what he's making new. Your partnership changes. Your prayers change. Oh, I see that person struggles with insecurity in a place of this. Oh, he's making that new. Okay, this is what I'm seeing. I'm seeing God's doing a new thing inside of you, specifically in the place of boom, 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 boom. 
It all becomes like this narrative language, this, this place of a story of what God's doing in you, what he's doing in me. And we get to have these places of connectedness. We begin to have these places where we're propelled to share, where we're propelled to speak. And we realize these relationships really do challenge us in our pursuit of God. And sometimes it can seem disconnected, but Jesus did a really great job to say, listen, if you love me, you'll love people. And if you love me, you'll do my commandments. So we see this place is really connected to people. And I think a lot of times what's more real to us is the people around us than the narrative of what God's doing. So hear this and know this, that God is growing in you in the spaces that people challenge you the most. You really got to hear that. Where you get frustrated, where you get anxious, where you get defensive, that's the space that God is literally calling out a new thing and growth inside of you. That's why you should thank God when somebody comes and frustrates you. I'm serious. Initially, you're like saying all the other things you feel. But at some point, when you calm down, begin to go, thank you, God, that this person's provoking me. Thank you, they're challenging me. And even in their wrongness, I see you do something really cool in my life. And I want to grow, Jesus. I want to grow. I was just talking to somebody the other day, and I said, listen, this space is extremely uncomfortable for me. I was describing to them a part of my life. I said, but you know what I'm interested in? I'm not interested in telling you my situation so you could tell me if I'm wrong or right. Honestly, I kind of know what I'm right in, and I kind of know what I'm wrong in. I'm not really interested in the legislation of a judge at this point. All I'm really interested in this space is not right and wrong, but simply what is God growing inside of me? Does this make sense? You following this? Oftentimes we get caught up in this narrative of right and wrong, but more often than not, God's true design is for growth in right or wrong. And that's the prayer language. That's the place of creating is God, in right or wrong, it doesn't matter to me right now as I step away from this thing, but I'm simply asking this, that through these elements and through these things and through this atmosphere and through this place that I grow inside of you and you grow inside of me. I've got a story I want to share on this because I believe it's important. There's a really difficult cost point to pursuing and to walking with God. We see that it, it, it causes us and challenges us to forfeit the way we think relationships should be done, who we do relationship with. It causes us and invites us to forfeit a lot of things we think. And uh, Matthew 19, 16 through 24 is the story of the rich man I want to read you. It's really an important narrative here. And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? You know, I like this place right here. He comes up to him right away and he says, Okay, and then in your pursuit of God, you go to him and say, Okay, God, listen. What place are you growing in me? And this is a direct go to Jesus and find out. And I think direct is really important to coach right now. Because direct does take a, it's difficult. If you've never prayed before, you're like, what do I do? Like, do I pray for a list of sick people? Is that prayer? Like, you know what I mean? Like, you really start to wonder, like, what's prayer look like? Why do you, why do you pray for hours? Well, because it takes hours for me to t- have a conversation with God for him to grow areas inside of me that don't exist. So I'm not praying for hours about my sick cat. (laughs) 
although God cares about cats and all that stuff, like, yeah, right? Like, okay, I don't want to offend any cat owners and dogs too, so I'm not praying for my dog or cat, you know? Because I know there's some fervent cat lovers, you know? I'm not one of them. I've learned to respect how terrifying they are to me. <laughs> I look at cats and it's, I think they're planning my demise. I don't know. Like, they're so much smarter than dogs, it's very uncomfortable. <laughs> I think you might be smarter than me. <laughs> mm, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> but, I, you know, you're not praying for cats or dogs. It's not what this is about. It's not even praying for need. There's a, pray, a place in pursuit and prayer that's not, God, what can you do for me? Or, God, I have goals. Or, God, this outcome, I need it. Or, I need you to change something around me. Uh, what's beautiful about the pursuit of God is it really outlines this, uh, very, something very simple. Actually, before I keep reading this, I want to read a, a quote from A.W. Tozer. It says, the man who has God for his treasure has all things in one. Capital O. Many ordinary treasures may be denied him. Or if he is allowed to have them, the enjoyment of them will be so tempered that they will never be necessary to his happiness. Or if he must see them go one after another, he will scarcely feel a sense of loss. For having the source, capital S, of all things, he has in one all satisfaction, all pleasure, all delight. Whatever he may lose, he has actually lost nothing. For he now has it all in one, and he has it purely, legitimately, and forever. I think sometimes when we hear this narrative of like, pursue God, chase after him, God is all things to your pursuit, it can sound like it's really impractical. And to the pragmatic minds that are very aware and inclined to and connected to responsibility, it can seem like a frivolous notion of, that's cute. Some of us have things to do. I got to figure this out. So we rack our minds over some things and we got to figure it out, figure it out. So we've got this responsibility and this ownership that presses in on us. And it's all very real stuff. It's not fake. It's not, it's not something we should be in denial about. But there's this notion and this idea that it should take the place of our focus or our pursuit, especially in the place of our focus and pursuit of God. There's an absolution that must come to our pursuit. There is a fully rounded, God, I'm coming after you. Because this will predicate fear of like, what about all these things? And then we visit scripture and we visit his word and we see that he actually begins to speak to these places. He says, yeah, listen, come after me. You know, give your life if you want my life. Pick up your cross every day and follow me. He says these things. He also says, listen, don't worry about tomorrow or being fed because if you seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be established unto you. So he also provides language and a narrative. Like, I understand that these things are pressing on you. I understand your needs. And he's a perfect father. So trust me, he knows your goals. Trust me, he knows your situation. Trust me, he knows what's best to deliver to you in terms of growth. But you got to know this about father. Father's much more interested in your growth than he is a good outcome. I think sometimes we chase and there's contingencies we build into our chase. God, if I, then I'm going to need you to. 
dot, dot, dot. God, if I do this, I really need you to provide this. God, if I chase after you, I'm really going to need you to take care of my family. God, if I do this, I'm really going to need you to. That whole narrative is one that doesn't truly know God. Because if you knew God, then you wouldn't have to say, but I'm going to need you to. Because you know that he's working inside of you and those around you that you love, the greatest narrative you could ever imagine. And it's not always that it's going to be easy for them because he doesn't promise that to you. It's not always that every dream they have is going to be realized, that they're going to be walking the red carpet and they're going to be a celebrity because they love singing or they love acting or they love dancing or they're going to win America's Got Talent or American Idol or Japan Idol or Japan Talent. Do they have those? Zach? No? Yeah? I don't, I don't know. It's not that. It's really not that. And, and I have three kids, a fourth on the way at... I see the pressing narrative inside of me to not trust, not trust God. I see me wanting because I'm more immediately there to like try and protect them from bad things and pain. I see me and my instinct as a parent being like, dude, you know what's kind of painful is the world. So maybe if I put them in a bunker and told them like something bad happened and never come out of the bunker, that would be better. You know what I mean? Because think about the pain we've experienced and think about how we don't want our kids to experience that pain. But if we're tapping into that, we're, we're simply of a humanistic mindset of what pain does or does not do to us. And if we look at the word, if we look at what the narrative of what God's doing inside of us and through us, we see that pain and loss aren't the end of the world. In fact, if we're truly, truly pursuing God, even in the midst of pain and loss, we actually see that they spell out what is the accurate, detailed narrative of what God wants to provide. Because you know what, what's interesting about pain and loss is, is that they trigger us. They cause our fears to like come to the surface and we go, whoa, I'm afraid of people. That's crazy. <laughs> oh, wow, I'm afraid of failing. Didn't know that. There we go. Oh, I'm afraid of pain and punishment. I do things simply because I'm afraid of being punished or I'm afraid of the, the pain that will come from it. I don't do it because I love. I do it because I fear. Pain and loss is just such a, it's just such an incredible instigator of our fear and it's an incredible exposer of what's truly in our heart. See, we chase after God not because we don't have him, because honestly this beautiful paradox of the soul is that we chase after God and it's a holy paradox, what A.W. Tozer calls it. He says, listen, to find God and yet still seek him is exactly what your soul's design is as you spend time with God. And as you have relationship with him, you're like, no, I found him. This is so amazing. And then you read the Beatitudes and you realize that poor in spirit, hunger and thirst, these are the elements that inherit the kingdom. These are the elements that are truly a part of our posture. So we realize that we're not just about receiving and or having, but we're also about pursuing. See, he creates both of these narratives that you're wealthy, you're rich, you're wise, and yet also you're foolish. Uh, you need him and you're poor. It's, a, it's this conundrum, it's this difficulty, it's this challenge to our nature because we want to grow satisfied in what we've got. We want to get something from God so we feel comfortable, so we're like, cool, man, now coast time, baby. Coast time, baby. 
And yet he calls us into this really, really courageous, difficult journey every single day that says, that's really, really cool. And I loved how you picked up your cross yesterday. That was awesome. I loved how you died to yourself in those 17 different ways yesterday. And I love how you just totally lived in me and you were full of grace and mercy. And that's really, really cool. So good morning. Let's do it again. But what's funny about this whole like, thing is it can immediately feel like it's never enough. I can feel like it's never enough. And then you hear sermons or you hear things about like, give God everything, your finances, whatever's between you and God, give it, give it. Don't let anything stand in the way. And you hear these radical notions of cost and you're like, is that really what I'm gonna have to pay? Am I gonna, am I gonna have to give away my cars? Am I gonna have to sell my house and give everything I've got? Like, the rich young ruler, he went on to this really great cost, and let's finish reading it, and we'll finish that point. And, it's, and he said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus tells to him what the things are that he wants. And the young man said to him, dude. <laughs> he didn't say dude, but he said, all these things I have kept. What do I still lack? Can we recognize before we see that he didn't follow God and failed? Can we, rec can we recognize that this guy is a stud? Can we recognize that in church culture, this is like the dude that everyone's like, that's a Christian. I'm still jacked up, but that's a Christian. Can we recognize that this guy is an absolute, he was, I do all of these, I kept them all. I kept them all. He was, the, he was the MJ of the thing. What do I still lack? He was Michael Jordan of this thing. He was, he was the, the best. He was, he was great. And so Jesus says to him what we see him do to all of us. He says to him, hey, if you would be perfect, go. Sell what you possess and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. He says this beautiful thing. He says, and come follow me. A lot of times we, we ask ourselves, what is this measure? What is God's price in my life? What is he asking of me? And you know what's more important than like, does he want you to sell a car? Or does he want you to lay this on the altar or that on the altar? What's more important than that is you're seeking him and you're asking him, God, what? What? What am I laying on the altar? What are you doing in me? I, because it's a relationship thing. He said, Jesus said, come and follow me. Seriously, what wasn't that important was the money. Jesus didn't say, go sell and then give me all the money so my ministry can thrive. Jesus had no vested interest in him giving everything. Jesus' only vested interest was relationally, does my invitation to follow me uh, supersede your desire to maintain wealth and status? That was the rich young ruler's test. That was the rich, rich young ruler's place of fear, place of, of, of I pursue you, God, but I also pursue a few other things. And if you were to ask me to leave those things or stop pursuing them, then that would be a problem. And so we can judge him because we're like, this guy, he didn't even give his wealth and possessions. But honestly, not a lot of us go through that wealth test. I'm not wealthy. I'm wealthy in a lot of ways, not financially wealthy even though I have this really blinging Casio watch. 
30 bucks. 30 big ones. I bought my dad a Covenant watch, and I bought him a, a Casio calculator watch that was $20. It's my favorite watch. I was like, hey, this isn't a lot of money, but this is my favorite watch. You know, widow's might. This, it's not about the amount. You know, it's not about even the thing he's asking you to do. That thing has simply just become a thing for you. We, this conversation's had a lot. I hear this conversation a lot. I feel this conversation a lot. And I feel when I'm in conversation with people and discipleship, they will just like go 100 miles right of the topic and then forward and then left so they could avoid it altogether because they're afraid of saying yes and they're afraid of saying no. So they're like, hang on, hang tight, God. Let me think about this for 20 years. Hang tight. Let me do some things that really make me feel like I've accomplished a lot, and then I'll give everything. Hang tight. Let me, let me secure some things here. Let me do some things here, and then I'm all in. The entire fact that you want more time in your way is the reason he's asking you to give up your way and walk with him. What's really beautiful is that if you're willing to go to God and say, God, what do I love more than following you? He'll show you. He'll speak to you. He'll tell you. He'll illuminate it in your heart. And the prayer that David said, create in me a clean heart, O God, and a contrite spirit. You know, Moses said, I beseech you, show me your glory. Paul said, I long to know you. I long to know you in the power of your resurrection, the fellowship of your suffering. You know, this, this come follow me is a bold adventure, one that challenges us in the places that we're unwilling to leave. I love God because he, he establishes things, imparts things, but he also delivers me from things. See, when God called Israel out of Egypt, he didn't just deliver them from bondage. He also spoke to them a great place of inheritance, which was the promised land. So God's worth both delivers us and establishes us in promise. So if you're unwilling to leave those places of bondage, then you're saying to God, God, not only am I going to stay in this place of love and affection for other things more than following you, but I'm also saying to you that your promises, it's cool. Keep them. This is what's the challenging notion for us is that God loves us unconditionally. That's never going to change. 100%, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you. There's no thing you can do that would ever change the degree or notion or state or nature of his love. This is not a question of whether God loves you or not or how much he loves you or not. This is a question of following God. And following God has a wonderful, beautiful price tag attached to it. And more than fiscal or emotional or in a physical price tag, it is a price tag of dying to self and becoming alive in Christ. This is the journey with God. It's a beautiful place. In the Bible, it says his loving kindness leads me to praise. Psalm 63 talks about it. The Bible also says the kindness of God leads me to repentance, change my life. Anytime he says, look, that right there, I want to deliver you from that fear. I want to encourage you to say yes. I want to encourage you because there's a place in God that when you say, God, I'm going to seek you in all things. 
I'm going to make you the primary and the specific focal point of my pursuit. And I'm going to trust you with all things. Practically, this is what it looks like. And this is how we'll finish. Practically, this is what it looks like. God, I'm going to pursue you. So what I'm going to, I'm going to trust you to do is I'm going to trust you. And I'm describing it to you. God, I'm going to trust you that in me, you're going to create things that do that, that do well that which you've called me to be responsible for. Does this make sense? God called me to be a pastor at this campus. So what do I do? I say, okay, God, this is what I'm doing. I continue to maintain you as my primary and ultimate focal point of pursuit. And I trust that you'll establish those characteristics and breakthroughs that are necessary to pastor greatly. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind so you may prove it is the perfect and acceptable will of God. My ultimate objective, pursuit, focus, and fervor is rooted in and is driven by relationship with God. And I trust him with every bit of my form, every bit of my expression. I trust him if he says, I want that, I give it because I'm excited to respond to his word, not out of obligation and duty. If somebody comes up here and says, God led me to give my car, I'm not telling you to give your car. If if somebody came up here and said, I gave a million bucks, I'm not saying this is what God's word is for your life. What I'm saying is whatever amount of obedience you've seen in anybody at any point, say, God, that's the kind of obedience I'm coming at you with. That's the kind of servitude. That's the kind of I want you and I'll give anything you ask me to give. And it won't even be a thing. Because that's what A.W. Tozer talks about. That's what the Bible talks about. Hey, I've learned that in loss, it's actually kind of cool. I'm, I've, learned to be, I've learned to abound both in those things which are, which are loss and those things which are gain. Paul talked about it. Philippians so clearly, he's like, yo, all these things. I've just learned to be like stoked on all of it. Prison, I'm praising God. In freedom, I'm praising God. And this isn't a place of like, hey man, I need to be better at praising God while I hate my life right now. No, it's not just like, God, I want to exercise those things which I know are like you. It's like, God, create the loving kindness recognition in my life that cultivates praise. Well, that is going to do it for us today here on the Mountain Podcast. If you haven't already, make sure that you subscribe, then go and rate and review after you listen to some of our stuff. We want to hear your guys' feedback. Uh, Tomorrow, we'll have a brand new episode up as well. It'll be part two of The Chase that's happening at the mountain and then on wednesday a brand new discussion on transparency that is uh pretty incredible so i can't wait for you guys to listen for the mountain podcast my name is donovan former and we'll talk to you guys later